The following content contains adult subject matter, including sensitive material, and is intended for adult consumption only. It may not be suitable for all audiences. Therefore, discretion is advised. Welcome back to Breaking Down with Allie Colbert. We're breaking down. Today, uh, look, guys, I've wanted to have Heather McMahon on the podcast forever. Heather is just like she's just the best. And I know I say like people are great, but like, I don't really mean it, but with Heather, I mean it. She's hilarious. I love her Netflix special. The son I never had. Um, she has an incredible podcast. Absolutely not. She's so, she's a machine. She's a joke machine. She's so funny. I love talking to her. Like the way she has like ascended her career in comedy is so aspirational and admirable, not just for someone in comedy, but for anyone who's like looking to do sit, do something a different way and shake things up and not having to like subscribe to the same bullshit system that everyone does. Heather is it like, listen to this and enjoy it. And I'm sure you will. Um, I am with my family right now in Florida for the holidays. So I am straight and I have a gun in my bag. I was told recently by my sisters when we were talking last night at dinner that they don't care about my taste in men because I'm a lesbian, which shocked me because like, like, I think Sammy was like, well, you're a lesbian. You don't have good taste in men. And it's like, well, I'm a lesbian. Like my taste in men couldn't be better. <laughs> like my standards are incredible. If I, like, I, I have the highest taste. I don't like, I, they have to be so amazing for me to look everyone. I'm the, I'm a tastemaker for the heterosexuals. Look to me to choose a man. I'm a dyke. I uh, I left LA for a while uh, for the holidays, and like I all my plan. I'm, I'm not a good plant mom. I have to. Like, I don't know how I overwater. I underwater. I starve them out of sunlight. They're in the closet, just like I was growing up. I have a heart. So I downloaded this app that takes pictures of the plants, and it tells you it's like this plant's healthy. This plant needs less water. This plant needs that. I was like, I really need this app for human relationships. Like I'd love to just snap a photo of someone. And it's like, Susie doesn't feel seen by you. Give Susie a compliment today. Take a picture of my mom. It's like, this relationship is poor. Please give space. Let it air out for a while. I thought those were pretty fun bits to start the show. You guys keep emailing the show. I love hearing from you. Breaking down at spotify.com breaking down at spotify.com. Don't make me beg. I'll get on my knees. Email the show, follow the show, listen, watch on Spotify. Give us a five stars. I know you're not doing it. You're not doing it, but you're listening. So you're, you're, you're taking from me, but you're not giving and relationships need to be reciprocal in order for us to have a good time. Okay. I love you guys. One of the funniest motherfuckers alive. Oh, you're so sweet. You are, you are so too, Allie. What are you talking about? No, it's you're so good. Like your Netflix special. I I'm serious when I say this. It is like it's one of the best specials I've seen in the last ten fucking years. It is so good. Oh my it god! Is, you <laughs> thank is, you. It is so <laughs> funny. Like it's thank just, you. It's amazing. Like 
I, I, if everything, like how you start it with your, like, I usually like don't care about how comedians start the special with that like little clip, but like yeah. you and your mom and like, bring you, did you always think I'm going to bring my dad's or like, what was that thought? Heather, if you haven't seen Heather's Netflix special, son, I never had, she starts, she brings her dad's urn on stage and then she grabs the mic and it is like, if talk about like taking something, you make the darkest things funny mm-hmm. in that special, but like really funny and like not like or you're not scared to laugh. Everyone's like, no, no, we can like laugh at all of these things. Well, I listen, I really appreciate it because, you know, there's all this. I mean, you get it. You're a comedian. Like there's all this build up pressure when you're touring and doing all this shit. And then this special gets released into the world. And I know my fans dialed in, but it's been really wild to have other people be like, oh, shit, I didn't expect this from you. So it's it's a it's always like a nice little treat. Um, I like to talk about dark shit. I never really did before. Well, I always kind of have. But regardless, that's what happened. Life happened to me. My dad died. I was you know, going out on tour, doing all this shit. And I was like, I have to talk about this. So in the opening scene, I basically like am joking with my mom and she pulls my dad's urn out of her purse. And like, that's how we started the show. So I just like people to feel something. I like them. I like to tell a story and I always like there to be like a little through line and everything. I have seen a lot of lazy stand-up comedy recently and it is wild. It is wild. It's wild. It's like, I think because of clips and I think because clips, so much of yeah. stand up is like recorded, you can like dress it up in post and like, yeah. But I have this feeling when I'm watching yours that like, and I, I'm serious, I'm not trying to blow smoke, like that I, I'm in the room. Like you can feel I when love like that. you smile at something and like the laugh rolls yeah. in. It just, it was so good. And yeah, the, thank the, you. The, You're the so sweet. Lines, it was great. I also think about like, I mean, I'm curious, like your journey with stand up, because I don't view you and maybe I'm just uneducated on your journey, but like as like the traditional come up in stand up, like I, I wasn't at all, you know, yeah, like I, I wasn't what traditional. Was that? Yeah. Tell me. I was, like, I was at UCB doing like a uh, one woman show type stuff because I was always like I did stand up. Growing up, actually, first time I did stand up was at my high school prom when I was 16. And then I did stand up in college. And then I, but I really wanted to do more SNL stuff. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to do more one woman show. I have a bag of wigs. I like doing characters. I was in LA doing all this shit. And then basically what happened was when my dad died, I moved back to Atlanta and I was in this oh shit moment. So I wrote a one woman show and I did it as a benefit for, um, the American Cancer Society. And I wrote like 30 minutes of stand up to kind of like put a cute button on the show. And I was like, why am I not doing stand up again? This is so stupid. This was my first original love. But I think I just like become so obsessed with like, I have to do characters. I have to do SNL. I have to do this. And yeah, I got some of those auditions. But then I was like, no, stand up is my like my love. So I just, that was kind of the catalyst back in like 2016 to like get back into it full throttle. And I just got into it and I just, just kept rolling. And what's, let me back up to you doing stand up at prom. How, Mm -hmm. how does that happen? And what do you say? What are you saying during that? So I went to this like crazy religious school, but they would all, they couldn't even call it prom. They called it the junior senior banquet. So they would always have like a surprise entertainer. And, um, I was, uh, well, actually I was, so I was a junior at the time and I was always funny. I was at one at competitions. Like I told everybody I'm a comedian, but at the time, like comedic actor and my, one of my teachers was like, would you roast the senior class? So I wrote like a 20 minute roast. I know. Honestly, it was wild because like I can have nights where I bomb. 
I, I don't know, especially at like how conservative my school was. But I remember thinking like nowadays when people are like, oh, Heather, you know, if you have a rough night or whatever, you're trying out new material. I'm like, ah, please. I'm like, I got up in, at 16 years old in front of 300 other high schoolers and it could have been the worst night of my life. And I, and I got the bug then. So I rose to the senior class. It was very controversial at the time. I didn't hold back. And I are was just like, Are you going for right, teachers? Are you going for students? No. Well, I went for like two or three teachers, but I really went for students. And my last joke- <laughs> Going for students. My my last joke was um, this girl had been kicked out of our school because she stole my friend's mom's credit card and had like gone to Hawaii. It was this crazy, like, you know, rich kid problems. So her boyfriend was still at her school. So my last joke was, and in 20 years, such and such will still be paying off credit card debt. And I mic dropped and walked out. And it was oh. just like- my God. And then the girl girl called me, prank phone called me for two weeks straight trying to bully me. And I was like, bitch, I already got you. Goodbye. So <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the first time. Are you like beloved at this? Like, what is your how is how are you in high school? Is does everyone think Heather's so funny? You float between groups. Are you popular? Are they like, what the fuck is this girl doing up here? Like, what does that look like? Honestly, had I gone to like a bigger school, I could have been like, you know, a weirdo doing anime in the back. But I, since I went to the same school from kindergarten through 12th grade, I was tight with everybody. I did theater, but I was also captain of the cheerleading squad. Like I was just kind of like, kind of like what you said, float around to everybody. You're I was captain never of me. the cheer squad? Yeah, but in junior high. And then once you got to high school, cheerleading wasn't cool anymore. So I just did theater arts and I played on the golf team. That's true that cheerleading for some reason is cool in middle school. And then in high school, it becomes a bunch of freaks. Yeah. And it, well, and it just became like, it's like, okay, what are we doing anymore? You know what I mean? Let's do something that's going to get us on a college resume, you know? (laughs) Right. I don't know. Yes. This isn't, you're you're totally right. I don't know what happens, but it does, it does have a drop off in sort of the, the constitution of the the cheer squad. It does. you know, middle school, it feels a little bring it on and then high school, I'm yeah. like, you all feel kind of born again to me. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I don't know what's I, going on. I'm also realized like I'm a team player a hundred percent, but I am also good at solo sports. And I think that's why I enjoy stand-up so much. Cause I played golf competitively in high school and it's like, I say golfers and stand-ups are very similar. We will find anybody but ourselves to blame about that round. You know what I mean? I'll be like, if you're in a club, <laughs> You're like, everyone was drunk. I didn't like the room. The sound was weird. The manager of the club was a dick. I was like, you know, tra- my travel day was hard. When I played golf, it's like the wind was it was too strong. It was hot. I was hungry. I didn't like the way the, the green sloped. Like you blame anybody but your own performance. So I just realized there's like a pattern. I'm like, but nowadays I'm so critical. I'm like, you fucked this up. Get your shit together, McMahon. You feel that way? You feel that way after a show? Are you like, you what the fuck? I, I do sometimes, but I also am like, don't hold on to shit. So I laugh really hard. I'll have a glass of wine and be like, all right, next one. We got to keep rolling. Yeah. I mean, I would also imagine like you're at a point where like you're not bombing in the way that you bomb the first five years of doing stand up. It's just not happening. You know, I mean, listen, who knows? I, I'll, I'm wrapping up this tour sometime in May and then I'll, you know, have to sit and start from scratch again. And I love this material that I'm doing right now. It makes me laugh so hard, but I do have moments where I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, it's always that fear. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I have to start from scratch. Fuck me. Yeah, you know, that- so I'm just like. Rain Man keeping meticulous notes of everything I find funny. Right, 52 pencils, 54 pencils, 56 birds. I I feel that way too. I get the sensation, and I saw you post a clip of this recently on Instagram, and I mean, 
I, I, I keep telling you I adore everything you post, but like you were talking about watching all of these musical documentaries and having this sensation that you're never doing enough. And yeah. like, I similarly, I have a, I always think that the last joke I wrote will be the last joke I write. It'll be the 100%. Only, how will I ever come up with another closer? <laughs> how can I come up with something funny again? And yeah. it's really scary ultimately like life happens. I change, I grow, I see new things, but like going through an hour, like what, what do you, what is your writing process? Like, are you, you're keeping notes always or how is that? I keep notes. I keep little voice memos. Half the time I record them though, I'm either on an edible or like had a couple white wines. So whether or not it makes sense the next day is always a little touch and go. Mm -hmm. But, um, I basically, when I'm going out on the road, I will lock myself in my office basement for like, you know, three days straight, like a psychopath and like take an Adderall and just scratch my neck and then like write out a bunch of jokes. And then I'll go on the road and I'll scrap everything and just write on the road. You know, like I have an idea of the stories I want to tell from an experience, but then I, half the time I get out there by the time, by the time it gets to, you know, 30 shows in on the road, I'm like, mm, this is a totally different show. I, I do you do the, you really do the Adderall lock yourself in a tower method because I swear to God, I do yeah. Adderall. I lock myself mm-hmm. in a room. I don't come up, come out for 36 hours. And then I have to do joint Xanax to come down. Yeah, I wake up the next sure. day, think I wrote a memoir and it is kind uh-huh. of like, it's like that, the meme where like, it's like Russell Crowe in a beautiful yeah. mind. I'm like, this newspaper's mine. Like it's a mess, but I really think I'm landing on something great. And like, I'm close to something. Yes. And I've learned the worst thing you can do is I'll like pitch stuff to my husband before I take it that. out. And I'm like, you can't do it. And he's just sitting there watching ESPN. I'm like, Hey, that's going to be a killer. And I'm like, fuck you. Jeff. <laughs> Dude, I, I met your husband when I recorded your show. And like, I generally, when I meet a funny person, I meet their husband. I'm like, what are they doing with that guy? Your husband has like the best energy. <laughs> for like to be married Does to a comedian. He? I think so. He, I felt like his vibe was like smoking a cigar with his cock out. Yeah. And he was like, that was a yeah. great one. I was like, I love this guy. I will say it's very cute because he's seen my shows, whatever tour I'm doing like a million times. And he is always in the audience. He's like, you know, I knew, although I just played the win in Vegas for the first time. And I That's get huge. off stage. Huge. Holy like, shit, like, Heather. I know, crazy. And I get off stage. It was a killer show. And I was like, backstage, I was like, babe, what'd you think? Like, such a fun show. He's like, yeah, that was, uh, it was good. And I go, you you weren't watching, were you? And he goes, ah, no, I was playing craps for the last two hours. You know what I'm like? Okay. <laughs> you like, your voice of him is like Tony Soprano having a stroke. That was good. I really like that. Liked that. <laughs> that was really good. I feel for people that date comedians because- I yeah. date, when I start dating someone, they think it's really fun. And then they yeah. like burn out from comedy after like a month. They don't give a fuck. They never want to see me yeah. do it again. They'll see me sometimes. But does he come when he comes to every show or what? No, no, he didn't come to every show. But when I'm on the road, he does come to some shows. But again, he's kind of like, I joke, and my whole new hour has been about him. Um, it's called Breadwinner because it's like me, um, you know, slinging, shaking my tits for cash. But no, he sits back like <laughs> king in the castle with this cigar, with this Penn State fitted hat. And he's like, look at her, do her thing. No, he loves it because now he doesn't have to work. <laughs> oh my God. Do, do, you, do you think that like, did you date men before him that felt really threatened by you? I honestly, Jeff and I have been together a long time, but I will say, you know, I had this college boyfriend who, when I look back, I realized like he, I thought he was my boyfriend, but he probably did not realize that he was my boyfriend because he <laughs> slept with a million other women. But I realized 
he, yes, it, it takes a very particular man to be like, I want to be with somebody who's going to either A, air our dirty laundry, B, make an absolute fool of herself on stage. And that's yeah. why it's, I always say like, I need, if, if God forbid something happens to Jeff, it'll, I'll probably end up with a black guy because black guys are like, you do you, you know, <laughs> like white guys are so, I think intimidated by a woman who's just like, I don't give a fuck to look ugly, embarrassed, whatever. Like mm. the more vulnerable I can be in an embarrassing or ugly situation, the funnier it makes me laugh. And I really don't give a fuck what you think. You know, you're, you're so right. Like, I don't know why like white guys do have kind of like a neutered energy about them. Like, yeah, <clears throat> they're neutered I, energy. I don't feel like black men to me are men. Mm. White men, yeah. I'm like, I don't really know what yeah. you're going for. It's like <laughs> Chalamet. Like your husband doesn't feel that way, but I would imagine I'm not straight. Obviously, yeah. I would imagine it would be very hard dating women. They're like they like that I have yeah. a big cock on stage. Yes, of course they do. Because women are always like, don't women absorb that energy. I think the the reason it's black guys is because black women have such a confident energy and like, don't give a fuck and don't fuck around. So I think they're connected to that kind of energy. We're like, I mean, whenever I have black girlfriends, I'm always like, they don't give a fuck. We are laughing. Yeah. We are having a good time. Yeah. Um, it's funny though. My husband lived in college with four black dudes. And I think that's why <laughs> he's like, he just, he gets it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He that's amazing. It. No, I, I, yeah. I mean a man who's just like so secure that he's like, I love all of you. I don't care if you're fucking messy right now or if you're loud, yeah. you're a fucking human. You don't have to like be in this little women box of like femininity and like tying things up neat with a bow, you know? Yeah. Another thing I thought like when I was watching your special is like you talk about, I mean, the son I never had, right? It's like your dad referencing to you and calling you the son he never had. I, I often joke that I feel like I'm the son my dad never had. Like we bond right. over the fact that we both eat pussy. But yeah. <laughs> I like some of that, some of that stuff that he's saying, like he's commenting on, I think you said like your shoulders or something like yeah, that. Like my body, your mm -hmm. body, like, which is hilarious. But like, is that like at all crushing to you at that point? Like, are you? No. And I, I realized that I grew up with a false sense of confidence in the way that my dad would like, I always felt empowered by the fact that my dad was like, physically, I was like his son. I moved heavy furniture. I played the sports. I was doing the man shit. Um, and it never was like, even when I did homecoming court, now I, now I have an almond mom, just side note. I have the mom who tells you to suck on two almonds if you get hungry. And she will, my mom, and my whole family was brutally honest. So like, even today, my mom was like, that's not your lip color. What are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, I just like, mom, the lipstick's on. It's a stain. I'm walking away. Yeah. But regardless, my dad, I was walking down homecoming court and like eighth grade homecoming court. And my mom was on the front row and she's literally saying out loud to me, Heather, suck it in and stick them out saying, suck in your tummy, stick out your tits. And any other like eighth grader that probably would have crush. But I remember just being like, mm, that's my mom. Like take it on the chin. You know what I mean? That's I mean, insane that you don't then don't. go to the toilet and throw up. I mean, that would fucking well, send me. Allie, I tried to have an eating disorder in the eighth grade for this boy that I liked. And I was definitely chubby. And I, I kind of like slimmed out, slimmed out in like ninth grade when I finally grew tits. And, um, I actually found a journal the other day. I wrote a country song in the fifth grade. And one of the lines is, you don't love me because I'm fat. And so I definitely <laughs> think there is some like childhood drama there, but I just figured out a way to like talk about it on stage. So I'm okay with it. I don't Holy know. Holy shit. You yeah. don't love me because I'm, I'm fat. Because uh -huh. I'm fat. You don't love me because I like mayo. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. That's, it's incredible. Like why is your, you have a sister. 
Yeah, I have a sister and she's tiny and petite and adorable. Well, I, I asked my mom, I said, mom, we were going through these old journals that we found. I was like, mom, this is unhinged. What did you do when you read this from your fifth grader? She's like, well, I mean, you know, you were a chubby kid. I was like, all right. Holy <laughs> shit. And so your sister's not enduring the same comments from your parents and you're, and you're just taking it with a grain of salt. She is enduring comments in a different way. My sister was like, is like very intimidating, stunningly gorgeous. She's an attorney, mental level smart. So my mom would always ask me like, you know, are you a lesbian? Where's your boyfriend? Why can't you get a date? Like vibes like that. Ashley's not gay. She doesn't care, but she's just like, mom, like being in the sixth grade and having your mother be like, what's your sexuality preference? Because why don't I ever see a man or a woman over here? Oh my God. Yeah. Are, so do you have high school? Bo- so you, this guy doesn't love you because you're fat. Do you have high school boyfriends or you're, are you looking for a boyfriend? What's going on? No, no, no. I, I mean, that was, I had a love in from second grade to like sixth grade that d- okay. destroyed me. Um, yeah. And that's it probably destroys where the co- you. it destroyed me. That's probably where the country music uh, song came in. <laughs> but no, I went to the same school my entire life. So if you think that by the time I got to ninth grade, I found any of these fucking twerps attractive, like all of my guy friends were also very close. And I'm just, they're all like two feet tall. And I remember just being like, guys, this is not, this is not good. I couldn't wait to go to college. I was like, I need some fresh dick, you know? (laughs) Where do you, where do you go to college? I go to the University of Mississippi. So when you see like Bama Rush on HBO, all that shit, that was me. But at the University of Mississippi, SEC all the way. You're going, are you going crazy partying in college? Are you like, an, I, I partied, but I, I wasn't like, I didn't have like an issue. You know what I mean? I blacked out, had a good time in the Sigma Chi house, but I, I, my parents were like normal in high school. They were like, drink beers in the basement, but you're not fucking going anywhere. You know? Right. Right. So I, I had a parents, normal sense. When parents do that, parents want you to get fucked up on their watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it would only be like me and two of my friends, nobody outside of like my core girlfriends that I've been friends with since kindergarten. Cause they will, my mom would always be like, if one of y'all leaves here, gets in a car accident, we're going to lose the home. If you slip and hit your head in the pool, we're going to lose our home. My mom would just constantly talk about what a liability everybody was. I had the exact same thing. My parents would be like, you put your keys in the, I'm making my parents sound like yeah. yours now, put your yeah. keys in the pool, in the bowl. You can't have martinis if I'm going to jail. Like that was, it was like lockdown. Like you could get fucked up, but it's like pandemic rules. You're staying in this house. No one's driving. You have to be here until you sober up. I think exactly. that's a good, I think it's good parenting. Good, I think it's great parenting. Yeah. Blackout in the living room. Do you Blackout I, I, in the living room? I think that's good. I, you, I heard you recently talking about your college friends versus your high school friends. Yeah. So were you, you were in a sorority in college then? I was in a sorority. I was in a big sorority, the mothership. So I was a Delta Gamma. We were founded at the university of Mississippi. It was Mm -hmm. a very, it was like all Mississippi girls. And then I was like the alien from Atlanta, Georgia. Like it was a big deal that they even let me into this thing. I don't know who the fuck I sweet talked I don't know how I got in, but I did sorority life and I fucking loved it. When other comedians meet me, they're always like, I mean, I, you know, I'm blonde and I, and I'm, I'm always glammed up, but they're always like, you did a sorority. And I'm like, you don't understand. It was so much fucking fun. You know, you see the movies of like mean sorority girls. I fucking had the time of my life. There were costume parties. We were <laughs> sisterhood. You know what I mean? We lived in a giant sorority house and ate fried chicken tenders. And like Fridays were fried Friday. So you would come in hungover from the swap or the social that you had on Thursday night. And it was just a buffet of fried foods. I was in fucking Oh my heaven. God. That sounds yeah. amazing. I was totally yeah. depressed in like club basements doing cocaine. And I would visit, cause I went to NYU and all of my oh, friends, yeah. 
it was a fucking mess. I was very depressed. I was like, I don't want to be walking around the fucking Upper West Side right now going to like the museum for class. All my friends that were like in these like little island off college campuses that were just like getting roofied in a basement. I was like, that's yeah. fucking awesome. That's awesome. Well, and it's funny because I went to do theater arts and I, we were in a conservatory program and I couldn't get an NYU. I couldn't get into these other big, you know, art schools. And I remember being like, fuck it. Ole Miss, I'm going to go and do their theater. Whatever. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? And my three best girlfriends all left after freshman year because they were like, we're going to go to Philadelphia School of the Arts or try and get into NYU and do this like one semester of like really finding our craft. And I always knew I was going to do comedy. So I was like smoking a cig outside the story. I was like, I don't give a fuck. And they all came back and we're all still best friends, but they all went away to these art schools for like a semester and came back and they're like, how's the party? I'm like, it's still here. We're, we're, ripping. <laughs> we're having a good time. You just yeah. outside, outside of the frat house. It's still going. It's, it's still, still going. You have a, you have a voice yeah. box. Literally, um, I have I have a tube. Yeah, it's still mm-hmm. going. The party's going. My lungs collapsed. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get fifteen percent cash back at hundreds of stores including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. So. After you graduate college, then do you kick up stand up a notch or what's going on? So after I left college, I moved to New York immediately and started doing UCB and all that stuff. And I would do like small open mics and stuff all around, but I really was dialed into all the improv because I was like, this is it. I'm going to be on SNL. I'm going to do characters. This is my dream. And then I went to LA, um, did a show. So you do like the pay, you do like the classes that used to be like UCB and you get on Uh the house team. Um, I know. So I, I, I left and went to LA right before it was like time to audition. Cause I had this yeah. thing every three years I start to itch and I got to move somewhere, but yeah. I knew I was like, I know because that of I need to because <laughs> of the Adderall. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. I got to move. So, yeah. I got to move. I also didn't really fully play by the rules at UCB. Like, you know, you'd be in these improv classes with these kids who like went to Brown, had Harvard or Harvard degrees, creative writing degrees. And I rolled in, I had full glam, blown out hair, big hoops, a fur, faux fur coat. And I would literally be walking into class with the white wine. I was like, let's do comedy. And I was like, I'm never going to fit into this mold of like the emo hipster, you know, went to Brown girl. And I was like, I just got to do a one woman show and do my own thing. And so I and moved that, to LA. That one woman show 
Is that mm-hmm. the show that you did for the cancer? Like what was, what was the one that, that eventually one turned into that? Yeah. I did a show with the writing partner that I had out in LA and we would do wigs and I would do videos, but that's when Instagram really popped off. So Got I it. started doing all these characters on Instagram and it kind of took off and then Instagram stories became a thing. And then that's where I really like that was, that was how I was doing standup. I was like, I'm just doing these 15 second clips and it became Whoa. huge. Now you got to do everything on TikTok, but that was, right. that was my bread and butter. So that one woman show though, you're doing care. What is that about? Is that like an autobiographical thing? Like, what are you talking about in that show? Yeah. I, I ended up bringing it back to Atlanta and putting it up in Atlanta for this cancer benefit. But yeah, I did all my characters. And then the tail end of it was like, uh, all the up about my dad dying. And then I was like, this, I got to share this. I got to take this out on the road. And then it just kind of took off. And then I got an agent. My, my, my agents were like, let's just put tickets on sale and see what happens. And then they had no idea how it was going to translate from you know, Instagram to ticket sales and it just went crazy. And now we're just, we're just slinging jokes, doing the so damn thing. It's like clips that you feel like are like reflective of the show and people start be- becoming really engaged with your page and then coming to the show or? No, 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 not your- even. No, no, no. They just became a fan of mine. People would Whoa. follow me for my characters and all the stories. And it was just me. You know, I never put up stand-up clips. And then I went on the road and I said, all right, I'm going to prove to everybody. And then a lot of people in comedy were like, oh, wait, she's a fucking stand-up. And on my first tour, I would open for myself as one of my characters because I knew that that was the initial draw of how people found me. And I would literally do a 20-minute set as somebody else, go off stage, change, and then do a 90, another 90 minutes because I felt like I had so much to prove. And I would never forget, I had like three of my buddies who were like, you're doing too much. You have proven that you like where you are in this space. You sold these theaters out. Just go fucking do what you want. And, and so my, but my show's fun. Like I just have a fucking blast, but now I I bring an opener. I'm like, I can't do this to myself. I will die. I don't know if like people listening realize how insane it is that Heather is opening the show in a character. Like it's stupid. That's it's, it's, it's not, you don't hear that. That's just doesn't happen. Like that's so ballsy that you're cold opening your show as someone else. It's, it's actually insane, Heather. Yeah, no, no, I know. I didn't think there was any other way when my agents were like, bring somebody else out. I was like, honestly, I knew people from the sketch world, but I wasn't really like friendly with a ton of standups. And cause I was kind of like doing my own thing. I was in Atlanta. And I was like, no, I'm going to go out and give my audience. Cause I knew the people that were coming to see me were like diehards. Yeah. And then it's just expanded from there. So it's, it's just been crazy. But now I'm like, I'm, I'm also have like another level of confidence where I'm like, I don't have anything to prove. Let's just fucking go do my show. You know? Yeah. You're like in the most empowered place. Like I've done it all. I get to just say what I want. It's just so fucking cool. And so I didn't know this obviously until I saw your special that like the time of your father's diagnosis to his death was one week. One week. Actually, what's today's date? Today is the 21st. So it'll be eight years on Saturday. And it happened right around Christmas. And I told my dad when he was in the hospital at MD Anderson, I was like, if you die on fucking Christmas, I'll kill you. So he died (laughs) on the 23rd. He was like, don't worry. I feel it's coming. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. It, um, it was quick. So he got misdiagnosed. They thought he had like his, need his gallbladder out. Turned out he had pancreatic cancer. I thank God I was in a sorority. I called in a sorority sister of mine whose mom was on the board at MD Anderson. They said, we have one spot for him. We flew his ass to MD Anderson as soon as we found out he had cancer. And he was, unfortunately by that time and pancreatic cancer is like a zero zero point zero percent chance of survival. But by the time we got there, they were like, all right, this, he's already in renal failure, which is what we didn't know. So when they caught it, he was already dying, um, which is wild. Like there were really like no symptoms. It went from zero to 100 and they were like, yeah, his kidneys are shutting down. We're like, 
what? He has cancer? Like uh, uh, crazy. Horif- that is like really horrifying and really traumatic. It's horrifying, but I got to be honest with you, Ali, I'm so glad it went that way. Cause if it hadn't, I could not have seen my dad go through chemo. My dad was like an over the top Southern guy. They put a pick line in them, which is how they administer chemo for like yeah. a day. Cause they thought maybe there was a chance and he tried to smoke a cigarette. And I literally was like, dad, you have an open valve to your fucking heart. You can't smoke a cigarette right now. And he's like, you can't tell me what to do. And I was like, I literally told him, I said, if they're doing chemo, I'm out because I'm not going to fucking deal with your ass. The, the way you describe him, like that energy of just like, and the way you like are kind of coloring him in the special of like, uh-huh. there's this scene. It's a real story. I would imagine of like you going in his doctor's stunning. And yeah, your dad yeah. says to you, one of my daughters better fuck that doctor. <laughs> yeah. My dad was literally like, who's fucking this guy? When I die, somebody's got to fuck him. And he said that. Like, my 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 dad was the funniest fucking guy. Just, like, big Southern, didn't give a fuck, but, like, so loving and tender. He loved having daughters, too. And that's the thing is, like, I'm, I, obviously, I'm jealous of my girlfriends whose dads are still around. But I'm also, like, I have to look at the glass half full. My dad died when I was, what, 27? I had 27 of the best years ever with the best guy. And so I was telling my girlfriends, I'm like, if your dad's still around, you don't have a good relationship with them. You're either supposed to learn something from it. You're supposed to figure it out, fix it. Or, you know, I don't know what to tell you. My dad peaked. He was great. He died. He went out on top. It's a wrap. That's the way I have to justify it in my crazy fucking brain. No, I mean, that's, I, I could get behind that justification. Does your sister really fuck that doctor? No, no, she, we, we've been looking for him. We've absolutely been looking for him. Actually, she and I were talking about that. She was like, she did get his number. And then like, there was flirting involved, but also my dad died like the next day. So we didn't really follow up on that, but she, she was like, that was my biggest missed opportunity. Biggest missed opportunity. Oh my God. Well, when I hear like those comments that you're saying he's making, which are like so hilarious and dark and perfect. Do you feel yeah. like when you're hilarious and dark on stage, like he, like one is like, was he cracking up at you? Like all your, did he love your comedy? So here's the wild thing. My dad never really saw me take off. And yeah. I had this, it's such a bittersweet, weird place, right? So I was in LA. My dad hated that I was in LA. He hated, because my dad was really successful in his own line of work. And he was just like, I can't help you in this business. I don't understand it. I don't trust anybody in entertainment. He just was like very protective. My dad saw me do all my characters and sketches and he thought it was fun and funny. And of course I was the most entertaining person to him, but he just didn't see how I was ever going to make money at it. So the irony of now that he's dead and the way my first special is how I, you know, like that's how this material that I was touring with was about him dying. I sit back and I laugh so hard. Sometimes I always say, dad, thank you for blessing me with the success, but you had to die, (laughs) (laughs) which is fucked up and dark, but that's like my mom and I laugh all the time. I'm like, it's so bittersweet when I I played radio city in June and that's been like a congratulations because that's insane. I mean, this is insane, Heather. This is insane. No, it it was wild, but that was one of those moments where I didn't think it was going to hit me. And I I was about to head to the theater and I had a fucking breakdown. I was like, the one person who I want to prove that I could be successful at this is not here. But the wild thing is my dad always comes back as a yellow jacket and a bumblebee. And I, I, I mean, the show is in June. New York's not really a place for bumblebees. And I saw a bee literally like on the way as I was walking to the theater. At the day of my wedding, there was a bumblebee that was on my bouquet. I'm like, he's there all the time. Oh, I, I, it's, it's perfect. I think like 
do you feel like when you're being funny, like even though he didn't get to see you like take off in the way that, like that, but like knowing how like the things that you've said he said, like do you feel like when you're being funny, that's like him in you? Like do you feel like a super Yeah, yeah. And also like physically I look so much like my father and my dad's like old business buddies will come out to shows and they're always come up to me after you know backstage and they're always like it's wild. You are your father. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like I yeah. like I feel connected and my parents are alive, God willing. Like but I feel mm-hmm. connected to my dad when I do like he's so funny to me and like yeah. when I'm doing saying funny stuff on stage like I feel him and it kind of comforts me that like when he dies I, I still will have some of my personality that I feel like I got from him like I feel close you to will. him in comedy you know what I oh, mean yes and it's so funny because my mom's like so is the is the third tour was that going to be about me because my mom is like so upset that we're not roasting her right now she loves the attention so I said yes mom this next tour will be all about mother daughter mommy dearest relationship I got yeah you. how you try um it's called almond daughter of an almond mom I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you are you very close to your mom and sister? Yeah, I mean we're all really close. Um, and I mean, listen, my husband and I live with my mom. Like we, oh, moved you live with the your pandemic. mom? Yeah, I've moved into my childhood home. And the wild thing is, I'm recording this right now from my dad's old office, which is now my office. So my husband and I moved in with my mom during the pandemic, and then we were when I realized that I didn't necessarily want to go back to my apartment in New York, she's like, well, I was going to sell the house. I was like, don't, we'll take it. So now we've been redoing everything in the house. I mean, listen, I grew up nice. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to lie. So, yeah. I mean, we, we got a saltwater pool. Okay. Why the fuck would I go back to a, you know, a small apartment in New York city? I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, I, I feel you. I, when does, okay. So you you get the show that takes off You're in LA. Yeah. When does, Actually, this is another question I have. I have so many questions. Like, do you feel after that, after losing your dad, like it's harder for you to get on stage and be funny? Do you take a step back or you're leaning in fucking hard to get through it? I was very depressed for about nine months in a really weird, sick way. And I had never experienced that, like that level of depression. But I knew, I kept telling myself, this is situational. It's not a chemical imbalance. Like I wasn't like, I was like, oh God, you know, I just knew I was like, I am sad because of what fucking happened. So I'm going to allow myself to feel these things. And then I just kind of woke up one day and it was like fight or flight. I said, I can either let this cripple me or I got to keep moving. And then I just put pen to paper and I was like, And I started talking about stuff on Instagram through stories and the way people reacted and reached out to me, I was like, oh, this is, this is, you know, when you're grieving, it is such a selfish feeling in a weird way because you're like, nobody understands what I'm going through. This would only happen to me. I can't believe this. You just feel Mm. like the world's against you. And then when I started talking about it, like in a really sick, sadistic way online, so many people were like, oh my God, welcome to the club. This is how it goes. And then I just started writing comedy from there. And it just, it just totally changed the game because I was like, Oh, I am now in this club where so many other people have experienced this or will experience this. And why are we not talking about it? Whoa. Yeah. The the other thing I think about something like stand up as opposed to other jobs. And I mean, like there's some jobs where you have to be that level of present, but like you have to be so fucking present and in the moment Mm -hmm. that no matter what's going on in your life, it always ends up feeling like a relief because you're not doing well on stage thinking about other shit. Like you have to be there. And I have found, I've always been that kind of person where I'll hold some stuff close to the chest, but if anything embarrassing happens, I immediately have to release it and like talk Mm -hmm. about it because that's just how I move through it. Mm -hmm. And so it's been so cathartic for me to, even when I'm not talking about my dead dad, even when I'm talking about shit with my husband, I'm like, you know, I I almost, you know, there are days where Jeff's like, is anything sacred? I'm like, yes, of course. But I do kind of want to talk about it on stage because it makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. Are, are there rules about, look, you can't share that? Do you guys have like stuff like that? Yeah, we do. I mean, honestly, listen, there's not, 
uh, a lot of our life that's that. Okay. I'll say this. My new special, I talk about. He's holding a gun to your head behind the camera. Yeah, honestly, he's literally walks in the door and he's like, don't talk about it. I had a little bit of a breakdown before I shot this second special in November because it's all about like our, we went on this 30 day honeymoon in Italy. It's all about our first year. Oh, I saw. That was incredible, Heather. And so I talk about how my in-laws didn't come to the wedding. And I just was like, I need you to know right before I filmed this again, I said, this is like, I've, I've done a hundred shows of this. Your parents don't, we don't have a relationship. And it's not that I ever want to drag. I wasn't trying to drag them publicly, but I said, honey, you need to let me know if this joke, if I have to take it out. The joke is not about them. It's about me. And how could you not love me? But I did have this moment where I was like, I need you to know, I need you to tell me because I don't want you to resent me. And he was like, no, this is your truth, your story. So Jeff's really good, but I do sometimes pitch stuff to him and he's like, do you have to? (laughs) But but it is, it is wild, but I'm like, fuck it. This is my truth. This is what happened. So why, why am I not going to talk about it? I feel you. I used to do a joke about how I like really, because everyone always says you want to date someone with an amazing family. And I always say, I want to date an orphan. I don't want to deal with anyone else's family. I want to date someone whose entire family has died in a fire. And I had a girlfriend who hated that joke. um, And then I broke (laughs) up with her. Honestly, smart. Smart. You know, I, you talk about um, freezing your eggs. Mm-hmm. We need to have a little egg freeze conversation. I, I'm sure I'll freeze my eggs soon. Um, and you have an a baby girl embryo on ice. Do yeah. you have thoughts about like, <laughs> and I don't know if this is just me being like a selfish comedian, but do you have thoughts about like, I can't wait to have motherhood bits? So I legit had that conversation with my financial advisor. We're sitting down. <laughs> he's like a good old boy from Georgia. And he's like, so you're cranking out a baby this year, right? And I said, well, I wasn't planning on it necessarily. I have to finish the story. He's like, this is what your audience wants. They want to see you pregnant. They want to see the stretch marks. They want to hear you bitch about it. And I was like, okay, Scott. Um, yeah. Yes. There are moments where I do know, like it is, it is um, that, I, I mean, listen, I, everything is material to me. So mm-hmm. yes, I think I have to have a baby because <laughs> so my yes. audience it's always, yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. I know you love and are close with Jackie Schimmel. I yeah. adore Jackie Schimmel and just all of her baby, her with the baby on Instagram just kills me every day. Just oh her drinking martinis and that baby's off to this and she's calling it a little fuck. And I, I just, yeah. you got to respect someone who's just like, look, you're telling the truth. You're telling yeah. the truth. You know, like, did, you love Joan, did you love Joan Rivers? Joan Rivers is my everything. Everything. That's, That's why I, I got into comedy. Oh yeah. my God. Me too. I, I knew yeah. you'd fucking love Joan Rivers. I, I think she's just like, it's just thank you for being someone who says what everyone else is thinking. Like, even if you're afraid, you know? One of my favorite, I saw Joan maybe a year before she died. She came to Atlanta. I took my dad, my mom, my sister. They all knew. Like, I have signed memorabilia from Joan in my office. Like, I love Joan. And she walked out on stage. She's in full fur. And she walks out on stage. She says every offensive word. She literally just goes through a Rolodex of all the most offensive things you could say. And then mm-hmm. she puts her little script down and she goes, are we all on the same page? Are we all good? And the crowd went fucking wild. <laughs> I was like, let's go, Joan. Oh she did not get God. a fuck. Yeah. She was like, now we're at all at the same baseline. I've offended everyone. You can offend me. Call me old. Call me whatever you want. We're done. And I was like, let's go. Let's let it rip. Are, are you ever afraid to get canceled? I mean, yeah, sure. I already said on my podcast, I was like, guys, I totally dressed up as a Native American for like 14 different parties in college because they were all (laughs) cowboys and Indian themed. So I'm going to go ahead and let you know now. I did it. I'm sorry. I I was in Mississippi. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yes. Yeah. I mean, no, am I worried about 
getting canceled? No, because the joke's always on me. But if I, I mean, I do say I, I am div- diversifying that portfolio by buying a little real estate in case I do, you know, I always got yeah. me thinking three steps ahead. You're right. The <laughs> do you get worried is- about it? I get back getting canceled. I do. I do get worried about it because I mean, like, do I get worried about it? It crosses my mind. The, the other, th- yeah. the, the thing I check myself on is I think, oh, well, I kind of believe what I'm saying. And I think if I believe what I'm saying, I'm sure other people think what I'm saying, like, just because it's like a scary, like, I think I said something the other day about, I'm going to get canceled right now. I think mm-hmm. I said something about girls who have only fans or whores. And someone was like, you can't say that. You can't say that. And I was like, well, I, I don't think they're bad people, but I think it's a little bit hoary. I mean, if you're putting your butthole on, on the internet for, for five bucks, I, I, but also like do an Amber Rose, be like, I'm a whore, you know, take it, take the word back. Who, who I say cares? cunt all the time. I say yeah. cunt all the time. I sell I love foot it. pics. I call myself a yeah. faggot. I don't know. I, um. Oh, let me tell you. The best word in the in the biz. Listen, I am a faggot. I'm sorry. I am one. I'm a dyke kike faggot. I don't know what to tell you guys. I eat pussy and I'm a Jew. I um live your life. Live, live your my life. fucking life. When do you when do you start the podcast? I started the podcast back in like 2018, 2019, and it it's it, and I've just been crushing through, you know? The the podcast is I I was starting to see a therapist for a hot second because I was getting very stressed about being on the road because it was it, I didn't see an end in sight. And then my therapist got too busy for me. And so I've realized the one hour that I have on the podcast every week is kind of just my therapy. It's not normal. But like I said earlier, I just am like an oversharer. And so I realized I was listening to an episode the other day just for like continuity to make sure everything was Kosher. And I was really like, oh fuck. I need to like, this is not my audience's problem, you know? <laughs> right. But, I feel like but here I am. They keep coming back for more. I mean, and because you can do a solo ep- you can do a solo episode well. You're just go what are you looking at when you're doing this? Are you just like you just my well, I, I only started videotaping it like a year ago when you know you had to have more content. I right. prefer to not videotape it. I prefer to sit in my office and just stare me at too. the wall and let it rip. That's what brings me joy. Yeah. But you know, not that you gotta entertain 24 fucking seven. Um, I'm just staring at the camera. I I prefer the solo episodes. Mm-hmm. I prefer to listen to the voicemails and just let it rip and like stream yeah. of consciousness. That's what brings me joy. Um, but you know, the the it's like, you know, you try and get people. Here's the thing that I hate about having guests. Yeah. Uh, you get it. Like you got to go through people's managers, their publicists, they're this, they're that. Right. I don't want to fucking deal with it. You know? And it's like, just work for comedians. Like text me be like, Hey bitch, you free next Tuesday. Let's do it. I yeah. hate having to go through other people to schedule shit. It's I also, it. the scheduling is terrible, but it's also like the pacing when you have on someone that's not going to just be fast and like run their mouth yeah. a bit and like stick sticky, like that can really feel kind of clunky. And then I'm like, well, you're fucking with my whole rhythm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, and when does, I heard you talking about this also on your show, like, uh, Jenna Bush Hager starts saying to you, start saying we need Heather McMahon on the Today yeah. Show. Is well, it was so it was actually Maria Shriver who was Maria with Shriver. Jenna on the on the Today Show, and yeah, and she was just like, "I love this girl, Heather." I was at a wellness retreat at the time, and I was just posting the most unhinged shit. I'd snuck in Doritos to a wellness retreat, and she was like, "They're like, we got to have you on." So then I fly to New York, and I'm on the Today Show, and it just kind of took off from there. It was wild. I mean, I go back to the Today Show all the time. Like, I, I announced the Radio City show on the Today Show. I announced the other tour, the special. Like, they've been really good to me, and Hoda and Jen. And Sil Maria Shriver, they're just like 
the nicest people on the planet. And yeah. those are women in the business who are like, we like you. They have great senses of humor. And they're like, we want go forth my child. I love vibe. that. Why are, why were you on a wellness retreat? Well, it was actually like this empowerment retreat. Somebody had nominated me. Lululemon has these like really big retreats for like people who are not necessarily dialed into the the fitness community. Mm -hmm. And so somebody had nominated me and I was like the only comedian that was there. And, um, so it was like artists, funky people, people in all these different industries who are at the, they said top of their game. I was like, I don't know. I'm going to pay my rent, but sure. I'm entertaining. And then I got sent to this thing and it was just like kind of like a networking event, but we were in the middle of Malibu. Everyone was on edibles. I had a spiral. It was just, it was a wild weekend. Right. You're super, you're super high when you're like wandering through LAX to get to the yeah. Today Show. And the Today Show is yeah. like, what are you taping at like 5 a.m. or something? Isn't it like insane? No, I mean, I had to take the red eye. Then I land in New York. I don't have an outfit. You know what I mean? I'm freaking out. And then we tape at like 9 a.m. So I was coming down off of surviving on green juices, Doritos, and edibles. Yeah, I wasn't in the right the mind. Perfect di- it's the perfect diet. It's the perfect combination. Yeah. This is yeah. a bit in- inside baseball, but like, do you prefer like, I, this is an annoying question, but I just want to know your answer. Like, do you prefer podcasts to stand up or do you have like a, a, cause I actually find podcasting to be much more difficult than stand up for me. Um, the, the bits and pieces with podcasting and the minutia of having to like fucking download files and do this shit and make sure everything's lined up. That's annoying. I, I find that the podcast once a week is a total cathartic release for me, but mm-hmm. being on stage and just yelling at a bunch of sluts is my favorite thing in the world. It's my favorite. And I always say the only, I feel like, you know, my life is kind of chaos. My life's under a microscope with my family and everything for 90 minutes or an hour on stage a night is when I'm respected. And then as soon as I walk off stage, my husband's kind of like, we lost $40 on the the Giants game. Or, you know, my mom's like, what are we doing for dinner? So it's like when I'm on stage, nobody can fuck with me, you know? Yeah, that's so true. I totally get that. And what, like when you, yeah. I'm just thinking about like, I do feel like I'm untouchable on stage and then I get off and especially if you're not dating a standup, which I've never dated a standup. Some, do you take, like a minute, do you take a minute to come down from that? You have, and, and like, I come home and like whoever I'm dating will be like, can you shut the fuck up? I'm like, you gotta see what happened in the other room. Like, you know, Cause they're not there. Yeah. And they're like, you gotta go to the other room and like slow down. You know what I mean? I, I literally, it's like such an adrenaline rush. And then I come on stage, I go backstage. I usually pour, I'll chug. I drink so much on stage. I'm like Cat Williams too. I sweat. Like I I literally have like a towel. So I, I, you know, dry myself off. I pour myself a giant spin drift. Like I have to have some like bubble fruity shit. Yeah. Chug that down, drink another hydration. Then I pour myself a white wine and then I eat some sort of like horrible pizza or chicken tenders. I can't really eat before a show. No, so I'm eating dinner at like midnight. And then I yeah. lay in my bed till about two watching TikToks with magnesium spray all over my feet. And you know, what you, what's socks. magnesium spray? What are you talking about? It's a game changer. So we're all like, you know, wildly low on magnesium. So I get this oil and I spray it on my feet because like after a show too, you're, you're really depleted of like your nutrients. So I I put that on my feet. I put on compression socks because I wear heels on stage. I put my legs up on the headboard of the Ritz Carlton, you know, in Baltimore, wherever the fuck I am. And then it takes me about two hours to come down. To come down. And do you look. And then the next day I'm wrecked. I'm just exhausted. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't imagine doing stand up in heels, by the way. Uh, that sounds like a nightmare to me, but it's not yeah. my life, you know. It, it's are, stupid. You, look, the podcast, Radio City, all yeah. of these things, are, do you have the sense now, like, 
I've made it. Don't you have a show in development on net on? I do have a show in development, but I gotta be honest with you. I had like, you know, and I talked about this on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I was like, okay, I did all this stuff. My first special came out in October. Three yeah. weeks later, I shot my second special. I was wrapping up the tour. I'm doing all these big things, but I think because I'm not in New York and LA when I come home sometimes, which is supposed to be like a rewarding thing where I'm just get to relax. I came home and I had like a week that I got the flu and I was laying in bed and I was fucking panicking. I was like, I am not doing enough. I should still be on the road. What am I doing? What is happening? Why did I take a two weeks off? And then I was like, this is fucking crazy. crazy. We're all going to feel like we're still not doing enough. And yeah, I have a show in development. Uh, you know, it's developing. Right. Who the right. fuck knows? That is the thing with stand up. As long as I can put asses in seats or the podcast, as long as I can get downloads, I can control the narrative. Having, I want to do television and film and I'm a writer and all these things that I love, but it, you're relying on somebody else to say fucking yes. Yeah. And you know, especially being a woman in comedy, it's like you can do your own shit as long as you create the opportunity. So yeah. for me, development is development. I'm hoping they pick it up. They're fools not to, but I'm just kind of like, I'm waiting on, you know, some, somebody to tell me yes. And I, and I hate that feeling. I told I, yeah. The beauty of stand up is that you write it, you get on stage, you can feel it in the moment. It feels amazing. But like, I look at you and I'm like, God, you have so undeniably made it in such a big way. It's like really amazing. Well, you're very sweet. And I, I mean, listen, I'm a huge fan of yours and we're all just fucking cranking and clicking through and trying to make it happen. But you know, it's nice because Allie, like oh, the first time we met, I immediately loved you, but it's like, we also in like the female comedy world have to fucking stick up for each other. And I don't mean stick up for each other. Like we're oppressed. That's not what I'm saying, but like work together because the guys still don't, they're still, they, they still are not given us an opportunity. You know what I mean? When it comes I to totally, like, I totally agree. And, and, you know, I think about this a lot with like Joe Rogan and the men he lifts up. I think men still, especially in comedy, lift each other up in a way that women just don't. Like I agree. he has, he has on his boys and they get big and they make each other bigger. And I don't know, I don't know what it is that like women, and I want to be a woman that does that. You know, I want to bring people up and like share. I don't know if we, it's like a scarcity thing. There's not enough, but I'm like, there's enough funny, fucking powerful women that we can all just fucking, it's a buffet. Just keep giving it out. Yeah. You know? And we're all so different. I know, dude, we should sit down and try and actually figure it out because it is, I I agree with you. It's, you know, there've been a couple gals now who like, you know, like Rosebud Baker is such a dream and a gem. And, um, you know, I become close to like Whitney Cummings and she's always like, whatever the fuck you want to do, like, let me know. I'll help you figure it out. But it's, again, I think it's just other, it's us not, I don't know what the answer is, but we got to figure it the fuck out. I totally agree. Like I saw you and Steph Tolev talking about you guys doing like a buddy comedy and like, that's the most obvious good thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Like that needs to happen. Um, but yeah. uh, anyway, guys, like you have to watch Heather's special and listen to Heather's podcast and just follow Heather, even though you probably all already do. And thank you for coming on. You're the best. Hey, I love you and I adore you. And this is such a treat. And then you got to come on my podcast in the new year and we'll tear it up. <laughs> <laughs>